Hey everybody, Benny here. So check it. This episode of Juanced was recorded live at Prohibition Pickle, Israel's premier provider of delicious kosher deli goodness as a culinary special. In addition to the audio conversation you're about to hear, we also taped the video version complete with an exclusive behind-the-scenes culinary tour that delves into some of the finer details of everyone's deli food favorites. To see the full extended video version of the show, including this bonus footage, make sure to follow our YouTube channel, Juwan's Podcast, as it'll be dropping there early next week. And now, enjoy the show. I'm Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Juanced. The show that challenges popular conceptions, thinks critically, examines independently, and most of all, seeks nuance. Each episode features a different guest. We'll dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, tech, culture, and more connected to Israel and the Jewish world. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Greetings out there in podcast land, everybody. It's Dan and Benny coming at you live with another episode of Juanced. Yeah, it's a special episode. We are here at Prohibition Pickle, and uh, proprietor, chef, owner... Pickle Meister Chaim Davids will be joining us shortly. We're doing a live show here at his restaurant, at his shop, the Pickle Mecca of Central Israel. Of all of Israel. Here, Chaim's joining us here. not the world. Have a seat, buddy. Put your headphones on. Strap in. Strap in. So uh, before we get started, before we get started, for those of you who have been following the news, literally anywhere in the world, there was a massive tragedy um, here in Israel on what is usually the joyous celebration of Lagba Omer. Um, it's uh, a day that is usually marked by bonfires and partying. And uh, for a lot of Jews around the country and for many around the world, there's a celebration at the grave of a famous rabbi who lived um, about 1900 years ago or so. Um, in northern Israel, and people gather around his grave, and there's a big tradition to do that. And there was a tragedy this year that um, the the bleachers collapsed, and there was a stampede, and uh, very sadly, 45 people who were there to have a festive occasion and a religious experience um, were trampled to death. Uh, 45 people um, were very tragically killed. Many more were injured. We, um, we join in the offering condolences and in the sorrow of all of those who uh, lost uh, loved ones. And we wish a big refuah uh, to all those who are injured. And, you know, at a time when we talk always about the polarization and the politics and, um, you know, the left and the right and the religious and the secular and the Jewish and Arab, it was um, heartwarming to see that all of Israel, um, secular Jews and Arabs and and the entire country came together, uh, first of all, to offer condolences, but also to help donate blood, donate food, donate water, shelter, whatever people could do. And it, it was one of these moments that, that makes you proud to live here in Israel to show that, um, 
even with all the hardships and the tensions we have, at the right moments, we know how to come together as one society. And, well said. And, um, and so, we, we, we again, we offer our deepest condolences to any who, who lost loved ones, and, and we wish a speedy recovery, a refuah shlema, to uh, all of those who were injured in this event. And on a much happier note... On a much happier note, it's kind of it's kind of hard. You can't make a, a, a good transition to uh, to a spot after that. I'm actually, going to continue on that a bit. You want to continue? Yeah. Right, you want to do? If, if you're having a hard time, uh, uh, like sitting close to the mic, what you can do actually is you can separate the mic if you want and just hold it. If that's easier for you. But, there uh, you go. I'm doing okay. I'll figure it out. Okay. You're good. Yeah. Um, you, the country is crazy polarized, and anybody who spends time in Israel understands it. And it, it's not move on, my love. You, you'd go anywhere, and you'd think, of, of course, everybody would come together to help out. And my news feed on Facebook, which is just where I get all my information from, right? The world of As right? many and people do. <laughs> and they're like, you know, there's a long line. Uh, people waited in line in Tel Aviv to donate blood. And um, uh, in, the Arab, in the Arab Druze villages, Arabs and Druze villages surrounding Meon also, there was a tremendous amount of work going on. And that was, that was actually, to me, one of the most exciting things. I think... Um, it's, it seems that would even happen first before other Jews might come together, sadly. Um, and th- but that's really encouraging. Yeah. And it's, you know, you hate to have these tragic moments, um, but, but if there's any bit of comfort in that, it's to see that we know how to do the right thing when we need to as a society. Uh, I think the transition country. is a Shabbat. <laughs> and um, with, that, with that, we are transitioning. So we've been excited. We have a good friend here, Chaim David. Um, we've been excited ever since we found out he was launching this underground pickle operation. <laughs> Hidden away. Hidden away. <laughs> right in the most <laughs> muznach floor in a mall somewhere in, in Yehuda. Exactly. <laughs> Hardly. Um, this <laughs> prohibition pickle. You'll tell us in a minute what that means. But we were so excited. And the first thing we did was that we reached out to Chaim. Uh, Benny and I are, for, of course, both into food. And uh, we said, we want to do an episode with you, and we want to do it live, because uh, that makes it even more exciting. So uh, in a little bit of time here, after we get through our intro, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit, you're going to join us as we transition, because we're doing this whole thing live and uncut. Uh, we will transition to a different uh, feed and uh, take our viewers and listeners on a food tour. And if you are listening as opposed to watching, then you're missing out. Because um, we're going to edit that part out of the listening experience. Nobody's going to miss out. If you want to check in and, and watch the food tour, you're going to have to go and, and watch it on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook channel, on our website. It's going to be up there later this week when we go live with the podcast uh, on, across all pod, podcast platforms. Uh, so that's a good reminder to everybody at this time to, uh, to go in, subscribe, follow us, uh, whether you're lost, watching on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, any, any one of the popular platforms, uh, you can find us anywhere. Um, YouTube channel is uh, Juwanced Podcast uh, and of course our website is www.juwanced.com uh, so good transition into or segue into the spot uh, so check it out everybody Juwanced as you all know is a listener supported podcast we rely on the generous support of listeners such as yourselves to make sure that we get great content every week coming at you uh, just like I'm here in Prohibition Pickle and uh, Guy Matron last week and uh uh, uh, Dr. Rabbi, doc, not Rabbi, Dr. Rabbi, Dr. Guy Matalon, and uh, Dan Liebenson the week before, and, and so on and so forth. So uh, if you would like to make a contribution to the show, and we encourage you to do so, you can make a one-time contribution on our PayPal account. Even better. 
make a ongoing contribution on our Patreon account. Uh, for more information of how to do that, you can visit us at www.juons.com and you can join some of the uh, many listeners that we have in how many countries, Dan? We are up to listeners in 118 countries around the world now. What is the 118th country? I'm having a hard time keeping track, but it's a dizzying array of countries around the world. We have almost all of South America, most of Africa, certainly the Middle East, even <clears throat> excuse me, East Asia, South Asia. Um, and Europe, of course, uh, all of Europe. And, and I would like to point out to anybody listening that unlikely um, <laughs> enough and, uh, and, and disturbingly enough, of course, we have no Chinese listeners because Juanst is not available in China. Juanst is unavailable in China. It's censored. Although, it yeah. although um, do you know what country has recently jumped into the ranks of being one of the top countries with downloads and listeners? I'll give you a clue. You mentioned this to me, and it was bizarre. I, d- I did. So first is of all, is this all Spotify uh, stats? Like, how do you know this? Yeah, so the all the download sets. So, so U.S. Israel are uh, a very clear one and two. Yeah. Guess where number three is? We always like to do this with our guests. Third place in the world by far. I was going to say the U.K. and then it just uh, no India, 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 um, and then we have how many sp- listeners though? Hundreds and hundreds of downloads. Wow. Um, and then we have UK, Australia, Canada, which would be expected. And then there's like a bunch of countries in kind of the middle range, including the UAE. I'd say that of, of the English-speaking countries, we get no love from New Zealand. What's up with that? Very right? little, very little love from New Zealand. Although now we, we're Semites. getting a lot of love from Pakistan and Mexico. Mexico, yeah, that was the country you said. Mexico, Mexico was picking, picking up a lot of Mexican listeners. A lot of uh, Mexican, Mexican listeners joining us, so it's very cool. So probably, if you want to, it's probably wanna, one guy in Tijuana who's like wasted just, just downloading. downloading the episode. Is these Juans, man. Cinco de Mayo's coming up, guys. Google ads. That's right. That's right. That's right. So if you want to become one of these, um, you want you want to talk or reach out or or connect to listeners in 118 countries, you want to sponsor us. We're also offering. Sponsor, consider even offering a dollar an episode, $2 an episode. It's not that much. And you can send us in recorded questions and we will feature you on the show um, as one of Juan's guests around the world. And we would love to do that. You can ask us anything about Israel, about the Jewish world, about ourselves, about cooking. Who knows? And we'll get you the answer or we'll make one up and it'll sound... <laughs> Probably be made up, <laughs> to be honest. So... So kind of call the lifeline, right? Was that you have like the lifeline? Yeah, you can you can do it all. So with that said, uh, check it out, and we would be glad um, we would be glad to have you contribute and continue this magic. So what are we doing today, Benny? So, dude, we're sitting here in Prohibition Pickle with Chaim Davids. This is a long time coming, my friend. Awesome. I remember I was in here maybe it was like what like two months ago with my son. Yeah. And we'd been talking about this before then too. Dan and Dan was. I don't even know how we got to this point. It was it was way back when, in the beginning of Juanced, when we were all looking for uh, a way to get through with our lives during the uh, the great COVID uh, disaster of 2020, when we're locked down in our homes, and all of a sudden it was like, there's this place. It's called Prohibition Pickle. You can order. It's really good. And we were like, well, I don't understand. We're ordering pickles now. No, no, no. It's much more. It's much more. And, uh, it's and illicit sh- condiments and more. That's yeah. what I called it. <laughs> illicit, con- illicit condiments and more. And we, uh, we, we ended up ordering pickles. And then all of a sudden, it was like... It was, it was, it was pickles and fish. Honestly, God, I don't, maybe you can remind me. I don't yeah. remember. It was just all of a sudden, you had mentioned the guy from Prohibition Pickles, Chaim Davids, is a follower of the podcast. I don't know how you, you, you knew You're an that. original fan of the show. That's right. Well, we've been, our careers have been growing together, actually. That's right. Yeah. So we, we all kind of... This all came out. Mitoch, uh, 
lockdown. That's right. And I, uh, I was hustling out of my apartment, and you guys were. <laughs> and I remember out of my like part. following, and it was actually a reference point for me. I remember like you had a post like you're nearing the 500 like on Facebook, and I'm like I'm nearing the 500 like on Facebook, and you know we're in this together. And I was following episodes, and then and then I really opened up shop, and I don't think I've listened or read anything in that, a long time. Well, you missed out on some good content. We can promise you that, and don't check us. On that. So without, Send me the highlights. <laughs> without further ado, we have Yechaim Davids, born, I didn't know this, Tony Arthur Nicholas. Man, <laughs> you're you're a Tony? You're a Tony, born and raised in Baltimore, where the oldest East Coast deli tradition still hangs in the air. 2005 culinary arts graduate, food craftsman. Chaim has traversed the planet, cooking, crafting, and loving. Who wrote this? I think I did. I think you did. This was Okay, for, for everyone morning. listening, this was the content that Chaim sent before the show. I asked for an intro. This is the intro you sent, bro. This the is year, one of my opening Facebook posts, by the way. The year is 2020. The zombie apocalypse has crushed spirits and many industries globally. Food, service, and tourism have been decimated under government recreation <laughs> shutdown, forcing a number of chefs and artisans underground. It was just before the first wave hit that Chaim was about to secure a lease to build the most radical hub of craft-cured foodstuff, otherwise known as a delicatessen. The backers backed out. That's what backers do. Otherwise, they'd be fronters. <laughs> yeah, totally. The bank said no, and Chaim was left with no choice but to join the underground. What came next was the greatest bootlegging the Judean hills. Can I pause that for a second? <laughs> I was reading a lot of uh, a lot of like prima Dina books. I was like I reading like that. a Begin and like yeah, Yitzhak Shamir, and I was like really, really the, into the, the pre forty eight revolution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. couple that with. Clearly. So what came next was the greatest bootlegging the Judean hills have seen since the sacred olive oil production under the Assyrian Greek occupation. During the Hasmonean dynasty, we present prohibition pickle illicit delicacies. That sounded really good. You like that? Yeah. Wow. You know. <laughs> I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna have to put in one of these. That's cool. That's actually the first time I've done that in the show. When we you're we try to avoid and you're, these. And you're reviewing it, and it sounds like that in your head, and you're just like, what are people thinking when they're reading this? <laughs> <laughs> Some people click like. Okay, so uh, I remember the first time Dan had Prohibition Pickle at his house, I was like, I was in this big thing where, you know, everyone was sort of baking bread during, during COVID, and I started making bagels. Cool. Because, like, I'm a bagel guy. I come from the States. Bagels is a big, big thing. And in Israel, you get... You know, shitty bagels. I don't know how else to say it. It's There's a roll that looks like a bagel. Yeah, it's a roll. It's, it's a just a roll. Pasta. They completely skip the boil and water step, which which cancels its. It's not a bagel if you don't. Can boil I can I say something heretical? All like bag them. all bagels are useless. Get out of get out of the store. What what's your favorite vehicle for a laxing cream cheese, bro? The thinner the better. I'll go with like a cracker. Yeah, you. You call yourself Is that a, a CrossFit thing, like you lowering your carbohydrates? <laughs> I don't want to like waste my time eating bread. It's like it's the vehicle. You said it yourself. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I don't the know. The bagel is the vehicle. Listen, the bagel it's is the not just the Give vehicle. If you have, if you have a delicious, well baked tortilla, if you have a delicious, well baked bagel, and it's clear that none of your family had any family members ever in the East Coast area. No. So there you go. That's why you could say that you would eat. Locks and cream cheese yeah, and a tortilla. Midwesters, they eat avocado. Look, I come from the Midwest. My father oh. comes from Brooklyn. Bagels were a huge, huge, huge part of my house growing up. Uh, and when COVID hit, I was like, I got I to gotta bake bagels because I, I, I got a bagel craving. I, I want to have something that reminds me of home. I want something that reminds me of something comfort cra- food. It's, it's bread. And I craved bread. everything bagels done the right way. And then it's like, okay, we're going to get cream cheese. Okay, well, they sell Philadelphia cream cheese. So I went and I got Philadelphia cream cheese from the store. And it's like, okay, we're going to get smoked salmon. Smoked salmon's in the, from the store too. But like, okay, it's not the best, but you can pass. 
And then it was like, wait a second. We're going to get whitefish salad. Mm. Mm, this, now, that was a conundrum for me because whitefish salad is something that in Israel you can't have because there is no whitefish to be found. Whitefish comes from the Great Lakes. It comes from, from North America. Uh, but whitefish is very similar to mackerel. Well, when it's smoked and you're smoking anything, it's the flavor profile, right? And the flavor profile. And, I, and, and Dan was just mentioning Prohibition Pickle. And I saw on the menu, not whitefish salad. You saw the not whitefish salad. This is when so you just it. started. And, that was, and I was sold. I'm not going to call it whitefish. That's fake, man. That, that's fake. It's so, to be honest with people, integrity is first. So where are we sitting for our listeners? Welcome, uh, welcome to my living room. <laughs> this is actually kind of odd for me. Um, I, I'm not used to hosting, like in a, in a capacity where I'm also sitting down. I'm always on the other side and I'm entertaining. And you guys are taking the lead over here and you're sitting here. It's after hours. And, and we're in the front of, uh, of our deli. It's not quite a restaurant. And you a, can, we'll, we'll get a better view in a second. And, of course, there'll be lots of pictures up on the Facebook for people to watch. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're sitting in your deli in, uh, in Gush Etzion. Okay? Uh, for those of you who are trying to find it on a map yeah, outside of Gush Israel, Etzion, where is the Gush? You're the tour guide. You're asking me? Yeah, you're the Let's tour guide. Let's ask the guy who lives here. Who, where's the okay, Gush? Okay, so everybody knows where Jerusalem is, right? Capital, we hope so. Capital of the world? Some people. <laughs> <laughs> we're like 20 minutes south of Talpiot in the industrial area, so it's, uh, it's south and like a little bit east, right? Because, you know... Um, Do some people question what country we're in right now? Um, there's different passports in different neighborhoods here, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's in, in, in pure nuanced uh, uh, style, this is a very complex and nuanced area of the land of Israel. Indeed. And uh, there are many, many different types of people of, uh, of different nationalities... Uh, Palestinians, Israelis. That's it. Uh, Americans. Americans. Lots of um, people that hold dual citizenship. Oh, yeah. Probably Palestinians and Israelis that hold dual American citizenship that live, uh, that live here. Uh, and, and it's qu- actually quite interesting because when I, uh, when, I, when I learned that your store was going to be in this mall, this mall, of course, has a lot of history here in Israel for, for good and, and for bad, of course. Um, and not to get into that, but it's also... Uh, when I talk about the good part, it is a place where Israelis and Palestinians, and, th- and this is kind of the untold reality of life here in Judea and Samaria in the West Bank, which is that you're literally sharing the roads, the, the stores, the, the, you know, the infrastructure, and, and that means that people come to, downstairs there's a Rami Levy supermarket, and Palestinians work there and shop there, and, and, and you're upstairs, so you, you might have somebody who's living in like, you know, Kfar, uh, Al-Jabba or something that's coming here and buying his food downstairs in Rami Levin and he's actually you know in the same place as a Prohibition Pickle where he could come and buy some uh, buy some full sour pickles have you actually had any Palestinian customers? yeah that's interesting yeah yeah so, I mean listen Delhi everybody knows Delhi has been also popularized in the mainstream we have, we have uh, Rashatot um, franchises like uh, New Delhi that's right so uh, everybody understands what a Delhi is and we're just doing it a little more tricked out so uh, some people have come in just kind of cool. interested in the conversation. But, you know, our, our neighborhood over here who works in uh, Japan, Japan, Muhammad, he comes over and I'm like talking about a Kanish. Um, there's also a little bit of a different culture. You know, you have uh, Ashkenazi food and what is known as Israeli Jewish food are not the same thing. That's right. So, that's right. For, for those of you who are like sitting, certainly in America, certainly who know the New York Jewish culture and you think of Jewish food. I mean, that's not something you're going to find here in Israel, is it? No, so that's actually really how it all started. Um, you know, I was running a, a, a brew pub in Shukmach Nuda. Uh, folks are familiar with the beer bazaar. So I was there sure. as a, sort of the consulting chef for the first two years. <clears throat> and um, really easy pub grub fair. And the, the platform was all about Israeli craft beer, which is a really cool scene. 
And there we dealt with tourists, and every single tourist from every place in the world comes through Shukmach and It's like it's part of the package. Yeah. You know, they, they kind of shuffle you around to like Mitzada at Shukmach and and where else is important? Kasra uh, Yehud. Right. <laughs> I guess it depends on your religious affiliation. Um, and folks would come through, and they were like, well, where's the Jewish food? Because they watch Seinfeld, and they're looking right, for the Jewish, Where's the bagels? Where's and they're like, the, well, we the got the uh, Matbucha and Jachnun, and they're like, well, what the hell is that? So... Um, yeah, it's one of those things where Jewish food, it's only Jewish food for people who grew up in the States. And, and you, were, you, were, you were laughing at me, but I grew up, my mom's Iraqi-Israeli, and my dad is very Midwestern. And not, you know, there just weren't Jews or Jewish delis or anything where I grew up. So I just didn't have that. I didn't grow up with that kind of food. It was either I grew up with Israeli food, I grew up with Mizrahi-Israeli food, or I grew up with, like, Midwestern food. And I didn't know Jewish deli stuff growing up. My friends laughed at me because, you know, when you said knishes, I was like, what's a knish? Like, I've heard of it, but I, I never had a knish before until like two weeks ago. It's also something that I think is pretty unique to New York. I, I think it's, it's, its origin is Russia, I guess. Makes but, sense. But if you didn't go, if you didn't like come from like Coney Island, you, I guess you wouldn't really know what a knish is. So how do you get the inspiration to bring, I mean, would you call this American Ashkenazi food or Ashkenazi, Eastern European Ashkenazi? What would you I call this? I don't really this? know. I've, I've used so many different marketing terms. <laughs> it really depends on how I'm feeling at the time. Everything is sort of like an interpretation. Uh, the flavor profiles, the smells, the way it looks, it's sort of nostalgic, but it's also kind of new. So I've kind of coined it new Ashkenazi. I don't ne- know. Neo-Ashkenazi. But yeah, the, you exactly. also have, I mean, we'll, we'll get up and walk around later, but you have a lot of different things in, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the case behind us over here that are you know, basically, uh, if we want to call it like the, the mix of, of the immigrant cultures that have come to Israel from English-speaking countries as well, because I see a bunch of biltong. There's beef jerky. Sure. And biltong is, and there's of course, Italian, from South Africa. There's Italian-cured meats that sure. have nothing to do with any of this, so, right? right? And there's like a truffled garlic confit. So I really wanted kimchi. to do... Kimchi. <laughs> it's called kimchi Ashkenazi. Do you have record. kimchi? Yeah. yeah. We'll open some up. Definitely. But he does, you know, free of any uh, shrimp or lobster. Which is how traditional sauce. kimchi is made with yeah. shrimp. And it's Drink like 10 times stinkier. So, so because it's more tempered and everybody knows in the world of Ashkenazi, everything's a little more um, boring. So there you go. It's a little, it's a mellow version, <laughs> a play down version. Is, 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 kimchi that, Ashkenazi. is that a, con- oh, look, living here in Israel, that's like the common perception, right? Like Ashkenazim, they're not going to eat spicy food. They're not going to eat anything food, with right? spice. It's boring. I like to I mean, joke that, you know, everything's boiled and it's like maybe seasoned with salt, maybe a touch of pepper. How much of that is true and how much of that is just the cultural perception because it's nice to, to make fun of the... It's sort of like in the, I don't know, at least, at least uh, where I grew up, the, um, the insular, you know, Haredi, Haredi light, the yeshivish world is, uh, the food tends to be a little less colorful. That's all. Um, you know, food is the central place in our life around the Chagim and... Jewish food is always around the Shaun Shabbat. Everything's around Shabbat, it might yeah. be but if we're, but if we were, colorful, if, and then it goes in the plata and it turns into brown mush. But if we were right. going to go back and take like a, a time machine right. back in the day before Jews came even to the United States, we're going to go mm. back. Now we're in, now we're in like 16th century Poland, 17th century Poland, Russia, Czechoslovakia. I hope you have a jacket. Uh, you know Germany <laughs> even, um, and you can see this of course reflected in the food in the case. But just like there's a lot of tradition and culinary expertise and 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 just a, a uh, like a deep powerful cooking tradition that goes into making this food and i don't think that any of it if done right is particularly bland it's right. none of the food i mean i've had a, a lot of your menu none of it's bland food oh thank you 
Um, and I, w- I would hope not, but and, and I don't and I don't think that and I don't think that's that should, should put that on your billboard. Prohibition pickle, it's not, not that bland. bland. <laughs> almost uh, delicious. Kind of not white fish salad. People are like, can I have that almost white fish salad? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost not bland. <laughs> so so th- that's it. I mean, when, when it comes to pickling and curing, which is what we're doing, we're, we're highlighting things that are uh, preserved naturally. Um, some less naturally, uh, but the flavor profile is always going to have a higher salt level. So the flavors are going to pop. Where the traditional Ashkenazi foods that we're poking fun of are, are really just uh, unimaginative, colorless, and, and not salted properly. Is is um, is that an Eastern European thing of just pickling and curing everything, like for practicality's sake? Because I mean, vegetables, right? Like in in Russia in the winter, you're not getting vegetables. So do you have to just pickle everything so that you have vegetables throughout the year? Is that like I mean, I'm sure comes even from? the most like peasant, the poorest, you know, uh, water schlepper in, in the in the kfar in the in the shtetl. in the village, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure even he had in his little personal garden, he was growing like fennel and fiddlehead ferns. I don't know. <laughs> but when it came down to it, whatever it was coming through the winter was, you know, the pickled cabbage and cucumbers and, and potatoes. And did you uh, grow up with this stuff? I grew up with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, what kind of what kind of food were you eating in your house when you grew up? Uh, well, my mom's a fantastic cook. Um, you know, she she's always like you know Manischewitz cookbooks and really old world. She, she grew up in Mandam and everybody knows Baltimore City. It's it's not a place that you and I would walk down right now. Um, and I live in the Wild West Bank. <laughs> so she was very much a traditionalist cook. You know, everything was really, really simple technique, salt, pepper, paprika, garlic powder, and it just goes in the oven. There's like no searing or poaching or braising. Right. That's how our parents cooked um, in that And generation. everything was delicious. Yeah. Um, but that, the foods that I grew up with, the foods that I grew up around, you know, I worked in the local pizza shop. I worked in the delis. Uh, and it wasn't until I kind of like bounced uh, the, the, the traditional Jewish scene where I, and I, I started exploring um, the culinary scene, I went to culinary school, which was a, a very not kosher experience, that I started <laughs> getting exposed to really exotic ingredients and, and seeing the, their excitement that's in food. Were you, uh, did you fit the profile of somebody that went to culinary school? Like, um, like a misfit? Yeah. Yeah, we look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and most people's like second career is like leaving nursing school and I was just like, just so you know, this is a lot harder. <laughs> and um, and those, are the, those other kids who were just like, you know, faking it through college because their parents were paying their way and they just didn't want to and, and they got there and they learned the hard way that this is, a, this is an industry that's through seniority. Your piece of paper doesn't mean anything. It's and nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. It's, your pedigree, it's all about hard work. Give me two, two months on the hotline over your two-year degree. It's, it's absolutely nothing. Anybody who's ever interviewed, you walk in, you give them a knife, and you say, medium dice this onion. And that's, that's the way that's it is. That's the interview. Yeah. Make so I was very much a, very much a, a misfit, and, uh, and the kitchen was a, a stabilizer. You know, I worked uh, starting, uh, I guess, when I was like 16 or so in pizza shops, and uh, I just wanted to, you know, have a cool car and, and pay in my own way and do whatever I wanted to. And so I get my own apartment and, and, and the kitchen was the way to do that. So when my friends were working or were going to school and going off to college, I was working in restaurants and eventually off to culinary school. Where do you go to culinary school? And it's no longer around anymore. And it is in Baltimore City called Baltimore International College. It was culinary arts, hotel, restaurant management. Uh, a lot of culinary schools are, uh, you come, it's an academy. You come out with some sort of a tuda. So uh, this was a two-year college. I've been associates of applied, uh, an applied science, along with other two adults. Like you learn um, degrees, CASEP. Yeah. You learn like food safety. So, you know, we learned about food wellness and you know how to wash your hands and sing Twinkle Twinkle. And <laughs> <laughs> you take a test on that, by the way. <laughs> you really? You say little star twice, you get failed. Wait, what, what, what is this? What is Twinkle Twinkle? You have to wash. How long do you have to wash your hands? Okay. Uh, did you grow up in a kosher house? We did. We grew up in a kosher house. So this, this, the kosher world and being religious wasn't new to you. It wasn't new to me, though it was very alien to me. It was very really? alien to me. So uh, 
Baltimore, um, <laughs> anybody who spent enough time with me know that I'll get into it. Not to be uh, to be offensive to anybody who still lives in Baltimore or is from Baltimore. We just we should just say for the record that uh, in in in. I work in tourism, as everybody on the podcast has heard. One of my biggest clients is the Jewish Federation of Baltimore, the Associated. Sure. So they're listening to that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We did, um, we did a, a thing. We did a talk. It was awesome. Did a you? A while ago. Yeah, through, through the folks over at uh, Shabbat of Lifetime. You know, Nati? Sure, Nati. And uh, they were calling it Salat Israeli, and we had a talk through the Federation. I did a Zoom. This like during the Sgarim. For we the Associated? Like, yeah, we had like 20 people, and, uh, nice. and uh, we had a little uh, meet and greet of... Uh, Good times. It was, yeah, it was really cool. So trash Baltimore now. <laughs> <laughs> so not to trash Baltimore. Baltimore's, but. A, Baltimore's a real dump. <laughs> There's a lot of thriving communities, communities with a lot of tradition. Uh, Baltimore, the Baltimore Jewish community goes back a really long time. And actually, there's a really old um, a culinary a deli tradition there. You know, it's funny, as, as the reference of like kosher delis goes, as cats being like the anchor of, of Jewish, not kosher delis in America, I think that actually the oldest family-owned deli uh, still in existence is in Baltimore called Atman's. Mm. I think it actually outdates cats. Somebody can Google, Google search and put it in the comments and see if I'm right or wrong. Um, but, 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 you know, Baltimore's an interesting community. I've always kind of con- considered it like the, uh, the Are Miklat. Uh, if anybody is familiar and learns... Uh, the city of refuge. The city of refuge in, 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 the, in the Torah. If somebody accidentally kills somebody, you're, <laughs> you're, you're building your sukkah and the, the head of your uh, axe, you shouldn't be hammering with an axe anyways, but if the back end of the, of the axe or the hatchet flies off and kills somebody, uh, you have to run away to the city of refuge. So, so Baltimore is kind of like that for the Jewish communities. You have like affluent communities with generational wealth, like New York and Los Angeles. And then you have like the city where they take like all the child molesters and weirdos and they put them in a bag and they just shake them over Baltimore City. And they're fully integrated Whoa. and they work in all the establishments. And, uh, and, uh, and I've worked with people. Like, you know, I worked at a store, I won't say no, on, on, uh, on camera cast. Um, but there, there was a guy who was a convicted child molester, and he's like working the cash register alongside. I don't know if it's like a reform, you know. You I, hope it is. I had um, to cut his hands off, and I had a really big scimitar. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, amazing. So we you changed the tone. Yeah, That's right. That's what I think about Baltimore. Well, it's always <laughs> like sandwich, too. Like it's, it's like sandwich between you get Washington, D.C., like yeah. right there, like, like an hour away. And then, and then north of Baltimore is like the big Jewish communities of Philly and New York. Mm-hmm. And Baltimore is like this. This little stepchild. Jersey, it's, yeah. it's also transitory. Listen, it's, it's growing incredibly. You know, and the Baltimore today isn't the Baltimore that I grew up in. Um, and look, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of amazing people. And I've, uh, most of my family is still there. Um, I have some family in Jersey as well. There's a lot of really good people. And I have a, really, uh, a bunch of really strong connections that go back. Um, but, um, I mean, that's just how I feel about the Galut and World Jewelry in general. Like, I don't really think there's much future. Like, we, we can see that the trend is all moving over to here now. Moving here to Judea. Why? 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 Yeah. Do you want me to get messianic on you, Benny? Let's do it. <laughs> Let me tell you about the Messiah. <laughs> Which Messiah do you want to know about? Listen, uh, you and I, uh, we're all, we're all part of that. You know, our our, our space here doing a deli in 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 Yuda can test to that. Israel might not be, or you could say, wouldn't be where it wasn't if it didn't have the support of World Jewry, and we're all really thankful of that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but the trend is moving here. Everybody's got to come back home. And, we, and, we, and eat at this deli. We, <laughs> and it has course. to be, when I made Aliyah, at least, I think Baltimore had the highest rate of Olim in North America. It's a very Zionist community, it for is, sure. It is. It is. And, and I noticed this also in my work with the community in that it's, it's much more, it leans much more conservative Zionist yes. when you're dealing with their community institutions as well, which, which today in, in the world of North American uh, non-Orthodox Jewry especially is very uh, rare to, to, to encounter. Yeah. Whereas in Baltimore, it's kind of the assumption that when you're working with the Jewish community of Baltimore, it's going to it's going to be more in that in that sphere. 
and and I know you and I have some some mutual friends that uh, that that we know from Baltimore. And my opinion of all, it had always been when I when I started meeting Jews in Baltimore that they were absolutely different from any other Jews that I had met it's in North America. It's a different community. They're, they're sure. much more um, tough, but not in that sort of like cliche way that New York Jews say that they're tough. But like Baltimore Jews are like actually tough people. Um, so how did you get in? Wh- where did you start cooking after culinary school? What kind of restaurants were you in? So I mean, culinary school was actually part of the uh, part of the journey. I mean, I started off working in local pizza shops and the delis, and uh, again, it was just a place of refuge, a place for work, and just spend my time and get my energy out. And uh, and I guess it was 2002. I went off to culinary school in Baltimore City, finished in 05, and then I moved straight out to the West Coast. West Coast. Yeah. Where were you cooking out there? Uh, there's a restaurant. Which uh, I th- still think is probably the nicest, one of the nicest kosher restaurants in the states, which is called Tierra Sur, um, which is in the Herzog Wine Cellars mm. in uh, in Oxnard, California. I was the sous chef, so I, I met Todd Aaron's now, who's the uh, chef of Bodega. Also opened up Crave originally in yeah. uh, in uh, in Jerusalem, and he's he used to establish himself as a figure uh, in the culinary scene, uh, definitely pushing the envelope, doing really awesome things. It's, it's Just talk about that for a second and doing burgers. I mean, the burgers are fantastic, uh, but the type of foods, the things that I was exposed to cooking for him, you know, in my first month, uh, I didn't even touch on him when I was in culinary school. The guy is a, is a mamasha, a kosher culinary legend. Wow. So uh, I, I was honored to work for him and work in the Herzog, uh, which is a, a super, super cool stamp on your uh, resume when you're 21, 22, and right after culinary school, landing a sous chef position, yeah, I was which say, is that's, usually that's earned over time, but I exactly. guess through the Jewish network, and I got my ass kicked pretty early. It's a hard life working on a line, isn't it? So yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I was, I was coming up from Southern California, I was driving in from like uh, North Hollywood, Burbank, staying by buddies' places, and driving like an hour and a half up the 101. And uh, and then spending like you know sixteen to eighteen hours running the prep, uh, taking care of purchasing, um, setting up the hotline, then working the hotline also during service, and uh, there's no room for error too. You're you're in a fine dining restaurant, and the lights are dim. There's you know leather back chairs and a copper bar, and uh, and you're dropping saute pans and you know searing duck breast, and the music's going out there, and inside there's this like real. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's like an inferno. It's like a submarine. You're like yeah, a, you're but like it's, it's controlled. Like it, it's really, really intense. It's really intense, and you keep your composure. You wrap your hand around a boiling hot saute pan, and you you know you blister, and you just you take a deep breath, and you just choke through it <laughs> three hours. Why don't you, you grab a towel like, and after? Yeah, after. Yeah, you don't you don't bandage up right away. You know? No, no, no. Grab a towel to grab the handle. Well, so you have like six or eight burners going, and you don't yeah. notice that it's scorching, or your towel's wet because your you're going wet, wet dry, yeah, yeah, wet yeah. dry. And you know, uh, it's you don't an intense. Wrap. It's an intense kind of work. I mean, you're you're, and you know, my wife jokes that like on Shabbat when I'm cooking, you know, if we have guests over, it's like, you know, line cook, and I'm trying to you know, prep it. And you're going like a hundred miles an hour, and you can't mess up anything. And when you're doing it in a restaurant, I mean, you're cooking for a lot of people. You have to. Have, we talked about consistency earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right? You have to have everything has to be perfectly consistent because that's the mark of a fine restaurant. And that's totally. what, and that's what the people are paying for. They're expensive. There's timing. There's a dance. There's a lead line, and then there's different stations, and you're dealing with multiple components of pickups with different cook times, and they all have to be in sync, going up at the same time. Otherwise, you have you know that one Miss Skane sitting at the table when everybody else is eating, yeah. and one guy's got cold food, one guy's, and then something gets sent back. It's uh, it's really really dramatic. Uh, even you look at the, you know, uh, streamline or operations like Burgers Bar. If anybody like has ever gone into a, a, any fast food joint and watching people, and if they're working smooth and in sync and it looks seamless, it's not seamless. It's it's really really tough work. Hmm. Really tough work. Do do you uh, did you see yourself being there for a while? 
How long were you there? At, at Herzog. Yeah. Oh, uh, I did the I did the restaurant for about a year and a half, and I I burnt out. You know, most most chefs kind of jump around year two year stints. Um, I just I guess I couldn't take the pressure anymore, and I just wanted to. Um, I was a young culinarian. I wanted to explore. I didn't know where I belonged yet. You know, I learned pizza and and uh, I, I worked in delis, like I said, but I didn't have any anything that was my own brand, and I I kind of felt at that point. You know, there's more seasonal special. There's more ingredients to be exposed to. You can go to the farmer's market every week and pick up ingredients that you've never, that you've never seen or, or tasted before. Um, but uh, I wanted to see something else. I wanted to continue to explore. So I, I moved back east and, and, you know, continued the journey in another avenue. And what, what, what did you find? Uh, I, I uh, worked at this butcher shop called Wasserman and Lemberger. <clears throat> it's, um, it's a very old butcher shop. Uh, it's been around for a long time. The original owners have since the... Passed the torch to a Swiss fellow named Ari Benjamin, who's doing uh, fantastic cold cuts. Uh, so there I learned breakdown, you know, f- four, four quarters, whole... How to break cuts. down an animal. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'd sit there with, you know, you know bloody smock, uh, you know, apron, and just... I was really ripped at the time, too. Because like, you're carrying sides of beef, right? I'm a little guy right now, but I was big back then. That's the original cross. <laughs> I was telling my wife, like, you should see how strong I used to be. <laughs> totally the original cross. I could bench press an entire side of a Got cow. in, like, full yeah. throttles. I was, like, just, like, energy drinking and, like, eating granola in the walk-in. <laughs> and, like, pounding deli on the side. Uh, and did that also for about a year and a half. Um, it's got to be an amazing education, to work at a like at a, such a, a deli where you're literally breaking down the animals and you have to know how to you know there's an art to it. It's a craft. It's right? all repetition. It's just like anything you're doing. Um, it's only so long you can do it, and then you gain a certain level of mastery. I mean, I you know I've done that for you know hundreds of hours of in the hotline of thousands of hours of experience, and you get to like okay, I'm not going to learn anymore. I do it so proficiently. Like now, what's next? So what was next? Uh, after Wasserman. Um, there was a little bit of this and that in between. I came off, took some time to Israel, uh, toured a little bit, uh, got in touch with myself. I uh, I got recruited to open up a restaurant in Northern California. I started so you went poking back around. to California. Well, I went back to California. Um, so after actually after I left Herzog, <coughs> I left the restaurant. Sorry, and I, I transitioned to the cellar for six months. They always need uh, people that are a shomer Shabbat to to handle the wine. You guys, you guys know the whole thing about the yain mevushal. Basically, any any kosher Explain wine. Explain that to our non-Jewish listeners. Um, well, I've, I've done this pitch so many times, and you always want to say it in a way that doesn't make you sound like a like a firm elitist, but because there's there's still chumot on there and and minhagim that like aren't necessarily customs halacha. and stringencies. Stringencies. Right. Yeah. There, there are rules when you're talking about um, wine. In the kosher world, right, the, the Jewish laws of eating, there are rules that apply to wine that don't apply to any other food. Right. Because of the holy nature that we attribute no. to wine. So that's the word, it's kedusha, kedusha or hekdish, which is, which is separate. So everything is separate. And we, we separate everything, like, religiously. Yeah, and there are rules where, um, with wine, again, not with any other kind of food, but with wine, um, Shabbat observant Jews have to be handling the wine. So that, that comes from the Mishnah as uh, somebody who is a, a idol worshiper. It's called Oved Kochavim. Right. And uh, just like we use wine for our sacramental purposes, uh, other religions or, or pagans might use wine also for their religious at, at purposes. At the time. At, at the, the time, time that the Mishnah was written. Right. For whatever they're getting. Sure. You know, they're, they're getting funky. They're drinking wine. <laughs> you know. So, uh, and that's right. So, so we can have them come in contact with our wine. Right. Because our wine is for hektish, it's separate, it's for kedusha, it's right. for and sanctifying Shabbat and Britimila and everything. And so therefore somebody who observes Shabbat and Kashrut and Britimila and, and 
chupa or whatever. And all of the Jewish customs and Should rituals. Should handle the wine right. from the time the grape is squeezed and the juice comes out until it's corked into a bottle. It can only be uh, handled by... And so if you ever wondered why kosher wine is significantly more expensive than non-kosher wine, this is a big part of the reason. Because <laughs> you have a winemaker and then you have like a team of like 15 mashkichim during the yeah. height of the harvest and yeah, like yeah. a big winery facility. Yeah, you have to have a whole yeah. separate team just making sure that it was handled according to Jewish ritual, which it doesn't affect the wine in any way, does it? Uh, it's the same wine, and then right. there's, that's the whole dune. If it's then there's mavushal. So, the, so yeah, they the cook the wine. If it's boiled, right? It's flash right. pasteurized. Flash pasteurized. So Does that ruin the wine? Uh, so that's that's the the great debate. Uh, some some of them, I think, if I'm not mistaken, can actually be flash pasteurized before they're fermented and then after fermented. It's different if it's a white wine versus if it's a red wine. But uh, from my understanding, the red the, the flash pasteurization pasteurization actually kills off some of the yeasts. Mm, which um, you want. Which you want. Uh, well, you don't want to like re-ferment. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it sort of kind of governs it. It, it kills its potential. And, you know? It's interesting that there wasn't like a separate category created to avoid this. Like wine that is uh, not for ritual use could be made by non-Shabbat observant Jews. But all wine originally was well. I guess right now, but I'm saying now, like, you, like it's it's one of these things we talked about this last week with uh, with, with guy with, with guy where it's like, time. well, let's yeah, let's make a lechaim. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Do we got another cup for Elon here? We brought, yeah. we brought our good buddy Elon here. Dry. My other cup broke. It's all good. So Elon is going to be uh, helping us do some camera work in a second. Our, our good friend Elon Perlman. Okay. We're going to make uh, probably a few lechaims throughout the evening. Good man. I don't know why it took us so long. I don't know. We're just waiting for you. And we're going to do a tour in a second. So, first of all, we wish you a lot of success here. Amen. Continued success. Because it seems to be booming. Thank God. And um, I know we, you have regular orders even coming to Rehovot. Um I have to thank you for that, by the way, Dan. You're very welcome. The, as, I told, liaison. as I told you privately, when I encounter a good product or a good service, I will wholeheartedly recommend it to everyone I know. And if you're not into it, you'll give constructive feedback. I do. And we will improve. And, and, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that. L'chaim to you. May you have much continued success in your business. And L'chaim to the boutique craft food industry in Israel, which is something we'll get into soon. L'chaim. Scotch. Scotch. I love scotch. You need, you need some schnapps here or some like slivovitz. Yeah. If you're going to do an Ashkenazi deli, you need slivovitz you just here. You just missed, missed the popsicles. We did uh, cocktail popsicles. Cocktail uh, popsicles. Last week, and there was, um, it was Kedem grape juice. Um, Wait, what do you uh, call them? <laughs> I'm thinking like a. <laughs> so, so I was, was going to call for the record. I was, I was thinking about coxicles. So I was going to call them coxicles on next week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, let's call them prohibition popsicles. Um, you know, I go for a little bit of risque, but uh, I didn't. I didn't know. I wasn't ready to push that your, yet. Your clientele is mostly religious, so I can imagine. So I think that's why they like it, by the way, because it's a little. It feels risque. it feels good to be bad. You know, this whole like uh, demut of like underground prohibition and like. You know, have you guys read any of, like, the, the product descriptions on, like, the herring, yeah. for example? So, like, the segula. And these are things that nobody talks about, you know? Do you guys know what, why garlic is a segula? No, tell us. And tell us what, what segula means. Well, segula is sort of like this magical um, word <laughs> in the mystical tradition. Um, I don't actually know how to translate. Does anybody know how to translate segula? Like, um, not an attribution, but, like, uh, something mystical that you... How would you... A you good know? omen? Yeah, Maybe. Omen's a Christian word, though, right? It's okay. No, it's, a, it's an English word. Christians used to be Jews. Christians also used to be Jews. 
So, so it's like uh, you can give a scenario. So when one would want to find Sgula if they were looking for a, a spouse or if they wanted to. Oh, that's a Sgula. Okay, it's, right. it's like a tfutfu. It's like you do this and th- this will happen as a result. But also, uh, they, it's a Sgula to eat garlic on Friday night. And I didn't know why. Like you get a, you get <laughs> a blessing if you eat garlic on Friday night. Why? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good thing to eat a garlic. Well, apparently it's an aphrodisiac. For oh, yeah. okay. Well, it depends if it's really? caramelized or raw. <laughs> so Garlic breath is an aphrodisiac. You heard so it here please, first, kids, Anjuan. Unless you're married halachically, do not eat garlic on a Friday yeah. night. <laughs> so we made a, like a, a, a herring that's chock full of garlic, and we called it the school herring. And we're talking about those things that people don't talk about, and, and that's sort of like the whole isure. So you're, you're playing on this whole prohibition... Yeah, explain motif. Why, why, why prohibition? prohibition? Okay, so wow, prohibition. Because prohibition, you think about prohibition, you think about you know the 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 you know prohibition of alcohol in the United States. You think about things that are illicit. You think about things that are illegal, but we're doing them anyways. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, the prohibition on weed. You know, prohibition on uh, right. Of course, and when the government the says something is bad, it's also morally bad. And when the government says that it's okay, it's also it's morally, morally okay. okay. Sure, Cause absolutely, because the government knows what's best. In every way. Always listen to the man. <laughs> so prohibition. Or the woman. We, uh, you know, I was, I was hustling from home. Listen, I'm in a very transitory industry. Um, I, I haven't stayed in, in many jobs for more than a year, two years, three years max. And I, I think, I, not to be hard on myself, I think most people in the, in earlier on in their career, don't, they also move around. Even sure. in, in the tech world, it's, I mean, it's pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. normal year, every year or two to, to move on. But I think food service even more. It's like 100% turnover. In the yeah. course of a year, every single worker is replaced. But so, you know, it's a party industry. You have uh, immigrants and high school students, and everybody's come moving from place to place. So, so in between this and that, I've always done something out of my house, whether it was uh, a private chef work or, it's, or I was cooking in the homes of clients or I was, or I was just catering a small bar mitzvah out of my place. But it's very uncomfortable. You don't have the surface area or yeah. ample refrigeration, and it leaves a huge footprint, and your kids are running around, and the cat, and it's just, it's just, you don't want that. You, don't, you want to have your own space. The man's kitchen, you need stainless steel. You need to be able to throw water everywhere and then just squeegee <laughs> it up, you know? And, and uh, I was just, I was so, I was so out of it. I, I, was, I worked a sales job before. That's for another conversation or later on when the whiskey bottle goes lower. But uh, my wife and, and a good friend kept on encouraging me to get, just, I'm just go at it. Just start doing something out of the house. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. We got three kids now. It's, there's no space. I just didn't want it. Also, it's like uh, you want to have like the, the sense of cleanliness. You, you, you support a lot of these small businesses. Try to. I, I would never order from a home business. I wouldn't. You wouldn't order for yourself? No. I mean, I order for myself because I have ridiculously clean practices. I know that I work sanitary. I work organized. I'm trained in sanitation and safety. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I I only order from one other home business who I also know is beyond meticulous about cleanliness. Do you? Yes. 100%. Good. Huh? (laughs) You know who it is. Okay. So I think it's awesome. Uh, And I appreciate the support. Uh, so I, like nobody's going to order and then you want to get into the public sphere and kiddishes and everything and you need to have like and it's not sustainable for the long run I didn't want to do it so I was really reluctant this, this is the not white, white fish salad which is actually mackerel it is one of the tastiest bites you'll ever put in your mouth I guarantee it it's awesome it's so good can I say something on the air while we're recording yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, we are actively looking um, for um, partners what does that and mean? To expand. So if you're interested in um, a not very lucrative, dangerous industry, <laughs> and you want to lose all of your money. If you want a high risk, I have a lost money. Industry. Yeah. So if you're like a philanthropist uh, and you have like too much money and you really love food, 
um, you should definitely give me a call. But we have actually really interesting expansion plans, and we're looking to open up another SNIF um, very soon. So where, reach out. Where, where do you want to open up the, the second branch of this place? I'm in somewhere in between Modiun or uh, Ranana. But so in it, the center of the country this, actually. where there's a lot of Anglos. Yeah, well, anywhere there's an Anglo pocket, but actually the next stage is opening up a, a commercial space where we can uh, have the Ishri Yatsran, something we spoke about before, be a licensed producer, and where we would move a lot of the production to that facility. And then once we have that facility, we can open up hubs in, uh, in every major city. So if you're looking to invest in the food space and you like this concept, and I can tell you, I think Benny will absolutely agree with me here, it's such good product, it's such good food, um, and it's unique. It's unique in the Israeli food scene, what's happening here. Um, ben, give, give Chaim a call. You don't know any like very wealthy Emirati businessmen that who, want who want to invest, to invest in Ashkenazi Ashken. food in, in Israel. Just to say that they're doing it. <laughs> I think that'd be a very interesting thing. Like if Chaim was like, oh, who's your backers? And he's like, MBZ. He pulls up in like a Lamborghini. He's like, where's the kugel at? Yeah. You do, you do Shabbat foods also. For, we'll, we'll give you the pitch here. Um, ahead of Shabbat, you do a whole Shabbat menu for people, essentially, don't you? Yeah, it's, uh, I won't say the whole Shabbat, but we're scaling it up. And uh, we hope that in the coming weeks we'll expand even more. But we do the schnitzel, a whole smoked chicken, potato kugel, Yerushalmi kugel, chopped liver. The menu is dressed up as the week progresses. What we say Shabbat Shalom, by the way. People come in on Sunday, we say Shabbat Shalom. Now... Would, would it, I mean, I'm listening to your expansion plans and it's interesting to hear it and, it and I'm trying to think like in the landscape that is the bureaucratic juggernaut of Israel, is it like that the dream is one day to have um, your products in stores? On a very small scale. I don't want it to be like a super mainstream, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's, it's, it's right to think that way. But uh, Why wouldn't you want it to be super mainstream? Does that... Does that mean you have to... It kills the quality and makes yeah. it less special. You know, I want it to be like really low touch. And that's also part of our philosophy here. Um, you know, the, the industry is sort of, um, it's, a, it's a greasy machine. You know, you look at a beautiful car. You guys like cars? Yeah, uh, I drive one. Yeah. I had some car troubles on the way here. Sometimes <laughs> it starts, right? <laughs> you know how the auto inflate button for your tire at that time. Yeah. But, you know, you, you sit into a luxurious car and... And there's the, the, the wood trim, there's the leather, leather, it's plush, you got the blue surround sound. And you look under the hood, and it's like there's pistons and spark plugs, and it's like, you know, it's a, it's a beast. So that's the engine of a, that's the engine room of a restaurant. Walk into a place like this. And it's beautiful, and it looks really nice, and it's homey, and it's inviting, and it's warm. And then you look in the back, and it's usually a little less um, yeah, you romantic. Got, you got front of the house, you got back of the house. But we've created something here, in this space, that's far less touched. Uh, low touch than any other uh, food service model I've ever worked in. And that's the whole point. Uh, our guys come in the kitchen at 6.30 in the morning. They're out by 3.30. There isn't frying and grilling. And it's just not like this nasty mess. It's just clean and, and organized. Uh, the style of food we're doing is, is clean. So scaling is actually, it, it, would, it would ruin the, the quality of the product or it would, just, it would make it so that it wasn't authentically the same. Turning into yeah. like a restaurant model where we were talking about the hotline before we were yeah. exchanging experiences of, you know, standing for like 10 hours straight without peeing and burning yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, and, exactly. and, yet, and yet Israel seems to be a place these days where there is such a, 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 a surge of artisanal food. Yeah. So, so the scale we're talking about here is, is like, you know, the delicatessens, the health food stores, 
the food culture. We don't, we're not looking for shelf space in Rami Levy and True for Sale. We, want to, we always want to cater to people that are looking for something that's a little more uh, counter food culture. I've noticed that in recent years, <clears throat> certainly since I've moved here, Benny, you and I moved here around the same time, um, 2000, you in 2004 and me in 2005. How long have you lived here? I just celebrated 11 years. <coughs> 11 years. So, I mean, since we moved here, there has been this renaissance, this kind of explosion of this kind of craft food scene, which means there are Israelis, um, many, many Israelis who, who are more worldly, who are making nice salaries, and who are willing to spend significantly more money to get these special foods, these handmade foods. Oh, absolutely. Craft foods. I mean, that's something that's, that's definitely a trend of the past few years here I, in Israel. I, I mean, you and I can, can both remember a time when... You keep doing this with your hand. Yeah, put your hand down. You're, you're hiding your face oh, from sorry. the camera. You, you I'm and trying, I, trying to be, so just say it. Say it. I'm trying to be gentle uh, here. You, know, you can just say it. Uh, you and I can definitely both remember a time where, where, where I mean, you know, when we first moved here, there was no culinary diversity. In fact, that word culinary wasn't even a, a part of the lexicon here. Nobody would say culinaria. It was, it was food, and food was sustenance. And there, there were nice restaurants. Not like there are now. Not, so, not as many. Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv has grown Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. By, 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 Tel Aviv I first mean, and Jerusalem follows suit. Like orders of magnitude. Orders of magnitude. Israel follows 10 years later after the, after the Western world. That yeah. was always the joke. Whatever right. whatever's still popular is 10 years later. I was, I, I was in culinary school, and I remember I would get up like at 4.30 in the morning to catch the bus to the train to downtown to, to get to my culinary lab starting around 7. And uh, Iron Chef America was on. And that's when it was just becoming popular. And I, as I was finishing graduating... Yeah, totally. But I was watching and was still the old Iron Chef before Iron Chef America became popular. And like, you know, TV personalities like Bobby Flay and Mario Batali. Yeah, the original. The original Iron Chef America crew. The Gamway. Um, these, these guys, this all started right when I was finishing culinary school. That's when it came really cool. There was a huge influx to culinary schools because it came really popular. And if you look in what's going on in Israeli um, reality television show, and they also have the Master Chef version. Right, sure. Then Mishrakea Chef. Uh, but before, before the, you know, five years ago, there were also great red restaurants, and, and especially in Tel Aviv, but there wasn't this culinary um, trend. There wasn't like um, this glorification of culinary personalities. Yeah, and there wasn't also, there wasn't a willingness to pay, oh, what, well, I'm going to pay like 30, 40% more for a handmade whatever? You know, like that kind of mindset didn't exist. Or, or even a willingness to try. Beyond money and beyond the ability to afford good things, there was a culture here, by and large, of, of, of a very, you know, in-the-box it's kind of Spartan almost in a way. Yeah, well, in the, many ways. If the, 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 most, the, de, the most demonized uh, dmut of Israeli personality is being the, the friar. So if, if it costs that much down the street over here and you're paying from over here, then you're, you're a sucker. Right, so a sucker. Right. Friar is a sucker in, in Hebrew. Eric from What's Up, by the way, one of the coolest people out there in the world, just joined us on the live stream. What's, what's up, Eric? Eric is the, the kung fu master, a Jinji Temani Kung Fu master. That's cool. It's like three oxy. Who, who likes to go deep sea fishing? Awesome. The video. Okay, we had an interruption, but we're back. Good. I think that it's just interesting to, to like experience, like to live in a country where you get to experience that I'm, I'm sort done. of that sort of a change. That cha and then orders of magnitude of change, um, where where you have the, like not only this explosion of restaurants and different people, you know, making different types of food in their spaces in the big cities, but also here. 
and, and especially you were talking earlier about the triangle of like Beit Shemesh, Yerushalayim, Gush Etzion, but I would say that in, in terms of culin, you know, uh, artisanal foods, that triangle can be absolutely expanded to include the Shvela. We were talking about the Judean lowlands go, yep. you know, going in here. In the All the way to Rechavah, where I live. The resurgence of, uh, of wine culture in the land of Israel uh, and Beer breweries culture. and, and yeah. distilleries and artisanal cheesemakers and sure. artisanal meat uh, producers and uh, and just like you were saying, your peppers come from the Agavas. So people that are actually just growing different types of plants, produce from different different regions of the world. I know somebody that lives in the Jezreel Valley that's making uh, over sixty different types of tropical fruit. He just has like a tropical garden, uh, and and you can buy these. The Jezreel Valley, yeah. which which is um, which the Lower Galilee, I guess you would call it. Is um, it's it's really hot and humid, so I guess yeah. it, it works for it works. It works. for it works. tropical food. Uh, but, but it's it's really cool. So you kind of fit into this trend of people who are making these artisanal foods. In your in your case, it's old school foods that you're kind of reviving. That's fitting in with and and you see people are willing to pay for it. I mean, I, I know more than a few people who are kind of a part of this trend, and I think it's really cool. I would be interested. And, and we'll get a little geeked out here on our, on our own Jewish culture vibe that we, that we talk about so often in different episodes. You know, if we're talking about the old school, put aside for a second your Anglo clientele. We'll talk about Israelis for a second. Israelis, it's a culture where in the early days of the state, we were talking about uh, the government actively encouraged people, you know, especially people coming from, from Europe, to be the new Jew, to shed their Ashkenazi uh, cultural identity in terms of the food, in terms of the Yiddish language, in terms of... Uh, in terms of any outward appearances, um, and and to essentially uh, you know become Israeli, and that would and that would take on the form of eating more local foods, even though you know they weren't actually eating authentic versions of the local foods; they were eating sort of their own mass-produced versions. But that, that's neither here nor there. The, the point is, is that this sort of food was something that was not encouraged for many, 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 many years in this country to be eaten by the people of whom it was, it was there. So in many ways, you had an Ashkenazi uh, uh, persona in this country, but it was detached from its food culture in so many ways that the Ashkenazi food culture became a cliche joke in and of itself of just bland food or somebody who doesn't have something. And, and it was the old country, and it was laughed at, and it became almost like a pejorative. Uh, and, and here we are... That's, it's an interesting point. But I mean, you see, but you see, like you know, Israeli clientele that would be willing to come here, or you were talking before about Sofit, your neighbor having her bar mitzvah catered by Prohibition Pickle, and they're really connecting to this food, and, and maybe they're not drawing the connection to saying, "Hey, this is food that's actually, you know, belongs to." If we're talking about something sort of shaykhut, belong, belonging to a sense, you know, sense of belonging, um, but they're finding that it's delicious and they're finding that it's tasty, and I wonder if there is. I would assume that this is very early on, but I would wonder if there could ever be some sort of a resurgence whereby, you know, people are more encouraged to leave the cliched, sort of uh, pejorative uh, understanding of what is Ashkenazi food and start to really embrace it again. Well, for a long time they weren't really considered refined foods, and you're talking about the um, sort of the agenda of uh, of the of the of the new Ashkenazi Jew shedding his. Uh, it's primitive uh, Yiddish, uh, whatever. Um, these these foods they weren't considered Ashkenazi foods anymore. They were considered um, Haredi foods. And then even now, to find anything that's considered uh, like a Shabbat delicacy, whether it's kugel or herring, folks are making pilgrimages to cities like <coughs> Bnei Brak and um, 
or chobam geula and to 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 seek out these foods and they call them in Israel by the way when they say Jewish restaurants or Jewish food, okay, Yehudi, it's, it's about talking it. about Ashkenazi, Haredi, wait, wait, Haredi now, but it didn't used to be. This kind of food, just uh, maybe more simple, not as refined as you're doing here. But, and, and that still is popular, by the way. So, by the way, so how that happened, this whole like, the branding of the Ashkenazi soul food. Uh, so uh, I was going for the pickles and the pro- Ashkenazi, we were calling it Prohibition Pickle, and we had the whole Prohibition era, sort of post- post-apocalyptic corona thing going on. But... The, the, the Ashkenazi soul food came in later. I had a customer, Pardes Chana. It's really sweet, Hasidish kid. And um, he said to me, Achi, the Ochel Neshama Ashkenazi. It's Ashkenazi soul food, bro. Ashkenazi. And he said in Hebrew, and it just hit me. And I said, that's it, we're reviving that. And then that just, just happened. So is this like your mission now, or was you just like, oh, that's cute? But it's cute, and it's become it's become the mission is really to try to wrap it all together. Obviously, not everything on, in, inside this glass case is um, on the same lines. Like we said, we're drawing sure. from a lot of different a, a pool of cured items. But I really want to double down on that. I want to make it cool again. I want young people to go out and eat schmaltz herring and have kugel, and like that's cool. Not just like a bunch of yeshiva kids going out to gula on, on a Thursday night to, to I don't know, to kumzitz and, and eat chillin, but like that, that's actually really fun and it's actually really warming and it's a rich part of our, of our uh, cultural heritage. Do you do chillin in Shabbat? In the wintertime. It's more like, like pragmatic, like I just get, like, who the hell wants to eat hot chillin? You serve it summer. here too though. You serve that's what I'm saying, you serve yeah. it here. We do it on Thursday, it, you know. Yeah, so chillin and uh, knish you serve, right? We do a uh, challenge with a homemade kishka and potato kugel, mm. a nice fat bowl, and we're going to start doing live music, <laughs> having a concert series. And That's we, awesome. We want it just because it's community, you know, and I think people come together. It's, again, there's a lot of nostalgia around these foods. I think that it's just interesting to go back to what I was saying before, and I, and I appreciate the, the, the response, but it, we fi- I find, and, and maybe this is just because I'm, I'm, I'm giving people in, in, in working in tourism, I'm giving people a... Uh, a, a cultural engagement with Israel and the cultures of Israel. So for so many people, you know, a visit to Israel for the first time is, if, especially if they're coming from the States, they identify Israel with, you know, all of the, the foods of, of, let's say, Mizrahi or Sephardi Jewry that are here in Israel because those food cultures were not put down by, 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 by the authorities that be, for example, to shed themselves of these foods. They were put down in many other ways by the authorities that be those cultures. But yeah, it's an irony what you're talking the, the, about. It's very ironic, and it's very because the music of the Middle Eastern Jews was put down. Every other every the, other the thing dress of, was put down. The style of talking, the way Mizrahi Jews pronounce Hebrew versus the way Ashkenazi they were, Jews they were persecuted. They were persecuted. persecuted. Okay, my name were like, like, and yet, and yet, that. the food. The food was not. Right, because that was yummy. When people think <laughs> of Israeli food, except for schnitzel, which is very Central European, people think of Mizrahi food and not Ashkenazi and what, food. And what I wonder is, ever we could get to a place, this is like my fantasy, my, my oh. fantasy for you and my fantasy for, for what could be in this country. I think that if, if there were one day uh, a possibility for people to fully embrace and not try to shed, uh, but, but sort of embrace and, and, and go through a healthy metamorphosis of being Israeli, but together with and, uh, and loving the culture of your forefathers, whether those people came from Eastern Europe or whether they came from Morocco or from Iraq or from India or wherever it might be, it wouldn't matter. But there shouldn't be that in the Jewish state, it's hard to find a bagel or in the Jewish state, it's hard to get good pickles or good corned beef or good something, you know, 
it, it would be that visitors here would find the best of everything. Because well, really, bagel, the best bagels of everything. just aren't good. You just need again, to, you to give it up. <laughs> can I can I say something nuanced that we're not talking about? Yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> part part of the the, the laws of kashrut um, are there to uh, to unite and to divide. Um, we don't uh, marry our neighbor's daughter and eat their bread if they are not uh, aligned with our value system, right? So we will we will dine with each other and experience each other's cultures. Um, if if we are also aligned, part the divide isn't so much uh, our, our, our not our unwillingness to share our foods with each other. It's our standard of kashrut. Mm. It's our religious practice, and that's the polarization. It's between um, not between Ashkenazi and Sephardi. It's between Dati and Chiloni. And I think if if we can figure out a, a common ground to all hang out together, then you know. You know, I was I was telling. Um, uh, will fill you and everyone else into a conversation that Benny and I had this week. And I uh, hope it's okay I'm bringing this up. Yalla. Uh, it, you don't you have know. a choice now. <laughs> well, I don't have a choice now. No, Benny. He, he, You're wading into the waters. Benny likes to cook. I like to cook. And he mentioned to me, you know, I made this, this dish. And it, it was a very not kosher dish. And I said, awesome. Like, part of me says very cool because he cooked something and we're, we're into sharing cooking. And the other part of me was like, um, you know, internally I'm disappointed when, whenever I hear a Jew cooking non-kosher food, going to your point here. And, and, and I'm not judging in the sense that like, I, I fully believe everyone should be able to do whatever they want to do and whatever they believe in. It's a free country. It's a free country. Kind it's of. a free world. What's that? Kind of. Kind of. In this sense, it is. In this sense, it is. You're right. In this sense, it is. And, and I 100% back everyone's right to cook whatever they want in their own kitchens. It's, it's their right. It's their, you know. But it still hurts me, on, me individually on the inside. Even, even before I was religious, you know, I, I never ate openly milk and meat. I never ate shellfish. I never ate pork. And what you're saying is, you know, I've always had these thoughts that I wish, I wish, my, you, you talked about your fantasy. My fantasy would be if the mainstream culture here, and it kind of used to be, and it's not really anymore, is when the, the default for food in Israel is that it's kosher or at least kosher-ish. You know, okay, maybe they're, you know, they're open on Shabbat. Maybe they're not exactly 100% on this, but you're not going to find like a bacon cheeseburger in restaurants. And, and it pains me that, that it's become like normal in non-kosher restaurants to find pork products and to find meat and milk. And, the, and for those of you who are outside of Israel listening, that's uh, something that's not allowed by Jewish tradition. But many, many uh, secular, actually not so many if you look at, at data, um, but, but a decent amount, I forget the exact numbers, 20%, 25% of secular Israeli Jews, and in the United States and in other places around the world, a little bit higher numbers, don't abide by kosher rules and, and eat, you know, pork and shellfish and these kind of things. And for me, you know, if, if we could figure out a common ground on that, I don't know if that's what you're alluding to, I think that would be... Well, the common ground is that it's a democratic country. So what you're saying... Let's say where I would say I have a problem with, or I don't have a problem with, since I'm since I'm the person in, in the room that, that you know we're, we're referring to. I wouldn't have a problem with a society whereby we got to what you just said democratically, meaning let the free market choose. Oh so yeah, if, well, if, like in like the public sphere. In the public, like if if the majority of people in this country decide that that's what they want, then the majority of vendors in this country will sell it to them. I, I don't want to enforce it on anyone. Uh, yeah, I'm not, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to enforce it on anyone. I don't want laws enforcing this on anyone. I wish. Culturally, this is where we were. Okay. So I'm cool with that. Cool. But um, that's just me and my internal wishes. I don't know. The Rabbanut has to really get their act together. 
They yeah, have to, they have to make the kosher restaurants kosher I mean, let's, first. <laughs> let, let's talk about that for a second here. So, so uh, this is a touchy issue here in Israel. That most wait, wait, can, I, can I go back? Yeah, for go, a ahead, second? go ahead. Be, because I am that person, I've been giving this a couple of days of thought, mm. um, and it's an interesting thing because religious Jews will have that feeling where they where they think of Klal Israel. They want to, the they, whole of the people. They of want. Israel. They want to. You feel that it's sad that I'll go and make. I don't even remember what I made. Wasn't that good? Whatever. Whatever. Uh, something that, that I was can help you make it better. Was <laughs> probably uh, some something that was uh, that was not kosher, um, and you felt bad. You felt sad, not bad. I sad, don't know if you felt sad, bad. not you bad. You felt sad that you couldn't eat with him, or that he was separating himself. That that he was doing this, and, and that for him it was normal that he was doing this. But is it sad for your friend Benny, or is it sad that that's the state of the Jewish people? It's sad that a Jew was doing this. So for me, I would say the Jewish people are many things. Okay. And I, and I would say, and don't take this offensively, neither. If, if no, you, no. You are, I, would say, I would say, be an adult. <laughs> like, I am an adult. Like, you're not going to create a reality whereby all people are going to follow the dietary rules set by the Torah in, in your mind and, and now. So no, it's I, like of all the things to get upset about in the world. I didn't get upset about it. I got sad, sad about it. Of all the things to be it's, sad it's about. For, for me, it's like, all right, that's too bad for you. I, I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, I, that's I, fine. You know, it's, it's a nuanced thing, right? I, I, don't so, ex- I don't expect you to change either. Like it's, it's, I, I expect you to be you, and, and I will defend your right to do whatever you want. Right. Yet, yet, I will separate myself from many other uh, you know, I never thought of myself as like Chiloni or Dati or the, like I don't. I don't fit. I'm a. I'm a very difficult Secular person. Secular religious. Put, I'm a very difficult person to fit into a box. Because you're also kind of big. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm dead, but it's like, I kind of just. You're bigger in real life than you are on the. Yeah. On I kind the podcast. of. <laughs> I I appreciate everybody for everything that they do well. Meaning, if you're you and this is what you love and you do that awesome and that's the person you are, then awesome. That's I love you for that. That's a really great thing, and I never. I never said to myself, I'm not going to go and, and support somebody who's loving something. So for me, you know, I don't have a problem coming. Nobody should have a problem coming to Prohibition Pickle. But like, I wouldn't have a problem going into a Haredi, the Nebrak, and doing a culinary tour and sitting there and eating sure. the food in their place. And I wouldn't have a problem going into, you know, the Muslim quarter in Jerusalem and eating and meeting Musachan or something. And I, and I wouldn't have a problem. Go, like, just the concept of that and it's just the food. Like... I fully can, if I'm, we're talking just about food, I, I was like, you know, I, I, I'm like, I, I want to separate. I know that food can be so many things. It can be politics and it can be meaning. It can be, it can be religion. It can be so many things. But like, at the end of the day, it's food. And if somebody's passionate about what they're doing, sure. I want to be passionate about, about how that person's feeling about it. And, um, and for me, I can come and sit in a place like this and have this conversation. And at the end of the day, we might not agree, but I'm also very supportive of the fact that we should be friends about it. 100%. Uh, and I think that we've gotten to a place, and we talked about this ad nauseum on the show, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that we have to go back into it, but it's like we are in such a place in so many w- ways of our, of our reality right now where people are not able to do that. People like me aren't able to do that. People like you aren't able to do that. Is the feed uh, working? Yeah, it's working. Okay. Uh, we're just not doing that. We're saying, oh, I'm not going to go eat by those people. Those people are kosher, and, 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 and you know, screw them. Or, you know, let's just talk for a second about some of the nastier things that we've all read about what's happened on uh, Lagboma and the people that, you know, suffered and, 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 and you know, it, it took maybe 4.2 seconds before people came out and started saying bad things about Haredi people. Um, and 
Yeah, but you know, I, I think any rational person, I knew that was going to happen, and, and I saw a few of those, but they were quickly swept away. They like, were. I, I, yeah. no, they're not on my feed, at least, and I have a pretty diverse, I don't, I, don't, I know I said it jokingly before, living in an echo chamber, my, my Facebook feed's pretty diverse. I mean, I have the right and left, and I, I, I think you'd have to be a real schmuck to start, you know, when it comes to like a national tragedy like that, to really start. Yeah, you have to be a special. Radiophobia populating. I mean, you look, you look in Tel Aviv in like the most secular areas, and you know, during the height of Corona, and people are partying without masks. Like it's, it's not a right or a left thing, and it's not about vaccines or not. Yeah, vaccines. it's like an it's, asshole it's, thing. It's just an asshole thing. Yeah, it's totally. An asshole. There are assholes all over the place, um, and and the world, unfortunately, now is filled with assholes that have a microphone and social media, and they and and and, and people say, Wait, are we, are we among those assholes? No, because hope, we're talking, we're talking about nuance within okay, the context okay, okay. of that. But and you don't people, have any talking points or agenda. And we're actually face-to-face with each other. I mean, uh, we, I guess, if we want to be honest, we do have an agenda, and that's nuance. Right. <laughs> Is that an agenda? Uh, that and good fish. Good fish. It's really good fish. <laughs> For those of you watching, I'm just eating quietly the whole time. Oh, just whoa, to touch whoa. back, I don't, I don't really have a key wound that I'm going with this right now, but when you said it, it, you, you, as one, experience food, uh, you you want to go to the Muslim court and you want to eat those things. You want to go to the Haredi neighborhoods. You want to taste those foods. But anybody coming from those neighborhoods, food isn't experienced the same way. Of course not. From from a, a um, from a uh, I don't know from like an adventurous uh, culinary palate, a, a place of exploration. Like you want to go and experience. But for for, for ethnic peoples. It, religions like ethnic peoples the foods are foods obviously are joy foods about joy it's about coming together and family but it's not about it's got rules it's it's all about rules it's about regulations it's about a conversation god's talking to you god's saying you want a relationship with me and and the food is just one way of having a relationship with with god so um so i think the you know uh Ahmad in the Muslim quarter and and Yaeli and Meisharim they don't they don't see food the way you see no. food that's okay, though. It is, that's okay. That's okay. It works for them. Um, I haven't really thought this out that much, but it's... It, it, I don't set out to make people sad by me being who I am. No, and, and it's, that's on me. That's not on you. You don't have to... You, you need to be you. And, and that's why if we, if we weren't as close of friends as we are, I wouldn't have said anything to you. Of course not. Because if we were even just kind of friends... I just I wouldn't have said anything, right? And if but, we were, but I felt we, like I could share that with. And you. And if we weren't as, as close to friends, I would have been offended by it, right? But you know that you know it's. it's I understand. I am I am intellectually capable enough to understand that for somebody who is a mitzvot observant Jew, the fact that there are members of the Jewish people that are not is something that's sad. For for me, it's not even that. It's 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 there, for me. And again, I grew up not observant. But we kept a kosher, at least then what I thought was a kosher home. Okay, I, I found out later that it wasn't exactly kosher, but it was more kosher than not. Okay, so we never brought pork into the house. We never ate cheeseburgers in the house. We never brought shellfish into the house. We didn't eat it out either. We didn't like go out and get kosher certified meat. But you also didn't ask if your kimchi contained shrimp in it. Right, not because because we didn't know to ask that question. Did you have kimchi? I did. Really. I remember going to a kosher restaurant, uh, a Korean restaurant. Most start with a K. I remember going as a teenager to a Korean restaurant and eating kimchi. It was the most vile thing I'd ever tasted at the time. Um, <laughs> and I, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, you know this is when, you, when you're kosher style. And by the way, many Israelis, when they travel around the world, 
or just kind of like they're not dati, but they're they're traditional, which is I guess kind of how we were. You you see a food, and you say it's cabbage. What could be not kosher in cabbage? You don't think to yourself in the paste where they're preparing the fermentation, they're putting in you know dehydrated shrimp. What about, what about dika? What about like the most basic? Because like, it so, could be nagua, so, and like you're eating like all so, kinds of. So so when you're when you're traditional, or when you're in this sense kosher style, you don't think about those things. You you think about the big picture of what you're doing, um, but you don't you don't understand the. You, you understand the highlights of the rules of the, that you're keeping, but you don't understand or care about the details of the rules. And that's one of the differences between someone who's traditional in America and in Israel or anywhere in the world and in Israel and someone who is um, consciously observant and religious. So I would say now to the, to the extent that I really do not want to offend people that are listening, but Dan, you remember me when I was more observant. Mm-hmm. And something that really bothered me when I was observant was the kosher style stuff. Because I was, and I, and I think I am this way even till today. I'm just on the other, other end of it. Which is, if you're going to do something, do it. I'm, more, I'm like a purist in this way, in yeah. many ways. I'm like, kosher style, to me, it just, it's almost like a, a type of cuisine. Like you think it's hypocritical? It's not that it's... It's not that it's hypocritical more than it's just bullshit in, in See, a way. I don't think it is. Let me elaborate. Kosher style. It just means like there's no mixture of milk and meat, there's right. no pork. Let me, let me elaborate. Yeah, exactly. I no don't no mean, mixture of milk and meat, no shellfish, no pork. No, I want to clarify. But, but, because but the red wine vinegar is made from and you're not kosher wine. Wait, wait, wait. Let, I, okay, guys, guys, let me clarify because at the risk of coming off as an asshole, and, and we always get ricochets of Benny said this and it bothered me, <laughs> so I need to clarify. I do not mean the people who are being kosher style are bullshit people, and I don't mean that they're, that, they're, that they're hypocritical. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that as a, as a level of kashrut, it's bullshit. It's not a level of kashrut. It is a culinary style. Like Chinese food is a culinary like style. Like saying I eat organic. It's a type of cuisine, exactly. Like I eat organic or I am a, I'm a pescatarian. I'm a kosher style. It's, you should not say that you're keeping kosher if you're kosher style. That's so what I'm, I'm saying. I'm going to disagree with you here. Though. I'm going to push back. And, and, and what I meant by that is... And again, I'll give the example, and I think I grew up I grew up in a family that did this. My parents are still like this. Many, many Jews I know are like this, who are not religious. And, and, and Israelis, when they travel abroad, etc. My family on, on both my mom and my dad's side are like this. And it's one of these things where you say, the tradition of keeping kosher is important to me, okay? But the... Partic- I'm not gonna. It's not that you say I don't care about the particular details. It's, it's you don't know them, and you, you're not gonna bother going down to that level. It's the same thing as saying I don't work on Shabbat because Shabbat is the Jewish day of rest, and I'm just not gonna work on Shabbat. Now, I'm not gonna read every single rule and say, oh, I can't squeeze a lemon on a on a citrus squeezer on Shabbat. By the way, you can't do that if you're really observant. I'm not gonna use a dish sponge on Shabbat. I'm not going to tie a necktie. Okay, there's a difference between saying I get the general concept and for me it's important as a tradition versus I'm really going to observe the rule because the minutia of the rule are important to me. And that's the difference between tradition and religious observance. And it's different. It's a different conceptual thing. And so, But if there was a Haredi person sitting in the room with us, he would, what, would, what would they say? What would their, what would their role or, or their perspective be? Well, what do you think? Uh, am I all of a sudden the spokesperson? For <laughs> no, but no. what do you think? You're the third I, voice I, in the I room. I think my, my feeling is is that sort of uh, the more you know, the more you're responsible for. 
I, I agree with that. And by the way, when did I start? When did I switch from kosher style to to kosher? You started learning Torah. Started I started learning. learning. Like I started learning. I started spending time in Orthodox congregations and with Orthodox people. And when my wife actually said what you exactly just said to me, I said, wait a minute, you're like kosher, but you're eating like chicken and beef in non-kosher places? That's hypocritical. What are you doing? And so you know what? It is. And I never thought about it before. And I made a decision. And from then on, I only ate hexer kosher meat. But wait, Shwaya, you just said that your wife, who we know, and, you, and, and Dan's wife is a, lovely, is a lovely person, said to you, but you're doing this hypocritical, and you agreed. So you can, you, you say it's hypocritical, yet for the people, you know, the thousands of Jews out there that are doing kosher style for the tradition, it's not? I don't think it's, I don't yes, think it's hypocritical. Because you were already learning, you were studying it. So. I was studying it, I was living, I was trying to become more, and, and for me it's like, you know what, you asked about like, what would a Haredi person think? I'll give you a personal example from my life, and maybe we could use that as a parable here. There, there are major fast days in Judaism, Yom Kippur and, and Tisha B'Av, which I observe meticulously, and there are minor fast days, which are not from the Torah, they're from uh, the rabbinic period, and you're supposed to fast a half a day from, from sunrise to sunset. And I used to observe them, and you don't get the day off from work if you observe those, and I have to drive an hour each way, traffic, I had to concentrate Dan work all day. hates driving. Try cooking in a restaurant while you're fasting. I've done that before also. I've done that on Tisha B'Av, actually. It's hard. It is very hard. And, um, and, and one day I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just not making it. And I had a shot of espresso and like a cup of water midday. I was like, I'm going to go back to fasting now because it was like a symbolic thing, right? Because every time, for me, every time as a Jew, and we talk, remember we talked about this um, Actually, we didn't talk about this, but uh, we had two episodes the last two weeks where we talked about being Jewish and being Jewish in the diaspora and different approaches. One are kind of a more, I don't know, what would you call it, the, the Dan Liebenson approach that was more maybe cultural or more post-religious and one with a Haredi guy that was obviously very kind of halachic and religious. But as a, as a Jew, I think in the modern age and certainly outside of Israel, every choice you make is a choice, right? You have to make choices to, to do something Jewish or not be Jewish. You know, and if, and if you only grow up in a Jewish context, that's all you know. And so for me, like saying, I'm going to not eat pork, that's a Jewish choice. Like, you could say, I'm, I'll do whatever I want, I'll eat whatever I want, but say, I'm not going to eat that shrimp when everyone around me is eating that shrimp, everyone around me is eating that pork. Okay, so I ate the chicken, because chicken, you, you know, you're breaking one rule, but you're not breaking another rule. So I don't know if this makes sense, but like, you're still making a Jewish choice. You're making an affirmative choice to do something that's Jewish and affirm your Jewish identity, even if you're not keeping all the rules. And so that has value to me. Today, I make more choices to do more things. But for example, I'll eat vegetarian in, when I'm abroad, when I travel abroad. I'll go eat vegetarian. Right. But it, you wouldn't necessarily go eat vegetarian if you're here. No. I'll only eat in kosher places if I'm in Israel. I that, that's actually a thing, by the way. I know. It is, in, in the religious world. By the, when I was in culinary school, I was in, it was a very trade experience, and I, I took a, a couple semesters off and uh, a little self-exploration. I came to Israel for uh, about two months. And when I came back, I, uh, I, I changed my, my diet completely, and I was in school there. I still wasn't wearing a kippah. 
But there was this one other kid in the class who was Muslim, uh, a Cuban kid named Fidel. A Muslim? Cuban named Fidel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. I know. It's weird. Our previous guest looked like Fidel Castro. <laughs> he, did, he didn't look like Fidel. It was, it, it was yeah. weird. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> Send me the link. Uh, and our common bond was that we both weren't eating pork. And when we would do uh, different uh, tasks and we'd work in teams, we would produce whatever we would produce together and we'd eat from there. And it was the same thing. I was in this culinary school. I wasn't yet fully keeping kosher, and, and, but I wasn't eating pork. And that was it. That was, that was about the separation. And for whatever level, whatever level you're learning, whatever you're holding, there is just some kind of acknowledgement and, and uh, some sort of separation. Yeah, like, you know, so, so that... I'm still there in a way. Like, if you ask a Haredi guy, do I keep kosher? You know, if I'm eating at a vegetarian place outside of Israel? No. No. But for me, I'm making a choice. I'm not eating the meat. I'm not eating, you know, the shellfish. I'm not eating this or that. You know, I, I think the question I think that I would choices. ask. The, I think the question that I would ask the Haredi person. And I should have asked this last week. So if, if we want to follow up with Guy, this Maybe would be a great question. Does the does what you just described the reasons for why you keep kosher or why a kosher style Jew keeps kosher or choices that are Jewish choices? I you know I may not be totally kosher, but I don't eat shrimp and I don't eat pork and I don't eat a cheeseburger or whatnot. Would the Haredi person say that that matters to them too, I'd or would they, or would they say no? This is all just about me and Hashem. I'd be there's about nothing that. to do with the, the rest of the Jewish people whatsoever. It's the Jewish people should be doing this because this is what Hashem tells the Jewish people, and it has nothing to do with you feeling more Jewish because you're doing it. Uh, I mean, I think there are some people that are just going through the motions, and I think uh, anybody who's real with it, they're going to check in. And uh, and they're going to be asking those questions, and I think most people do ask those questions, and most people crave a connection and relationship, yeah. and it's about building relationships. The same reason we're all uh, we're all men here, we're all married men here, and we're all, we're all wearing rings. I uh, don't I don't wear my ring, but yes, I'm married. Okay, we're, we're, we're he wearing, lost it. We're wearing rings. No, I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the bottom of the drain, and uh, that's it's about a relationship. And even if even if you aren't fully engaged in the relationship, it in real time. My wife is at home right now with the children. I'm here, but I'm. That doesn't mean I'm not in the relationship. Doesn't mean I'm not thinking about that thing. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think I think so too. When when it comes to a relationship with the, with the Creator of the world, and what what the choices that we're making outside when we're here, when we're there, it's 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 a, it's a reference point, right? It is. And, so. and for me, I'll add not just the relationship with the Creator of the world, but relationship with each other. That's like, like you said, like your friend, your Muslim friend, and I've had this with Muslim friends also, and it's like. You're it's, a doing weird, it's a strange common bond, isn't it? It is. And, 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 and by the way, when I was in the UAE, that was like something we kind of joked about that like we, we bond over the fact that we don't eat pork together. And, um, and of course, there are Muslims that eat pork and there are plenty of Jews who eat pork. But, but as peoples and, um, you know, it, it's about the bond with the creator if you believe in that. But if you don't, for me, it's also a bond with each other to say, oh, all over the world, we're not doing this together. So when you say kosher style, I don't look at it as like, I look at it as, as an affirmative choice, even if it's not as strong as an affirmative choice, because it's still a choice. It's still a choice you have to make to affirm a connection to, to peoplehood. Um, same as keeping Shabbat. Um, even if you're not going to keep it strictly, but you say, you know what, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to go make money on Shabbat, but I'm going to take time off. I'm going to spend time with my family. Okay, so you got in the car and you drove. You're still making a decision. For me, that's a Jewish decision. It's just as much a religious as a peoplehood decision. It's a decision to bond with our culture as a people to say, I'm, I'm going to 
this is my border, or I have a border somewhere, wherever it is, but I have a border, a food border, a time border, a family border, whatever it is, like you're still making these decisions. That, that's, I think, where it comes from for me. And it's also the verbiage. It's the difference between saying Shabbat and Safash. Right. Right. So, or a weekend, right. Right. In, right. Yeah. Um, like, even if, even if you're, like, not even, like, Shomer Shabbat, like, Bechlal, right? But the idea is that, like, I'm, I say Shabbat because I recognize that this is a sacred time. Yeah. Even if I'm watching the game. Um, but it's, it's separate. It's something yeah. else. You, in Israel, this is less of a problem. Because Shabbat it is, is it the, no, it is completely because in Israel there is Safash no other Naim. word. I never heard Safash Naim. Never heard anybody say Israel. that. Huh? No, but I've never heard anybody in Israel call it other, like Saturday is Shabbat. That's the, the literal no, word but, for. But I see, I see a, a big difference in in very secular Tel Aviv friends who say Safash. I've never heard that. Have a great weekend. I've heard that. I, I don't. I don't hear that in my life. Really? And I, I have. I mean, we're completely secular. Yeah, we but say I'm, Shabbat Shalom. I'm in, you know, I, I dabble in the high tech world where there's a lot of very secular people. Elon is totally in the high tech world. He's shaking his he- head right now. Right. <laughs> it all depends. But he okay, says it depends on the people. This and that. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. But, but I remember what I was going to say earlier. So I, I was fasting on these half days and I had to drink a coffee just to get through the day and focus and write and drive safely. And one of my colleagues who's not religiously. He's religious, but he's not, he's not a Haredi guy. He's, you know, kind of very moderate religious guy. And he said, it means nothing. The second you had a drink, you, you stop fasting. Yeah, you don't go back to fasting. And I said, but for me, it was, it's a symbolic thing to say I'm, I'm with my people on this day. Because it's, it's not even a God-given fast. It's a, it's a people-decided fast because of one of the stages of the destruction of the temple. And the second he said to him, I was like, oh, well, then I'm going to stop fasting on these days because I can't take a day off of work. I'm not going to drive two hours without coffee and water on a, on a summer day. So he kind of like ruined it for me. And I was like, no, oh, well, if you're going to be like all or nothing about it, then I guess I'm going to choose nothing. <laughs> because that's the halacha is sort of cut and dry like that. But this is where I have, you know, this kind of the argument we had last week with our guest. I agree, but there is something, I think there's something like, uh, there's a merit to like, okay, I'm going to go back to it. But going back to it, like I'm going to continue to fast, isn't like, you've already broken the fast. Like the fialacha, the fast is... According according to Jewish law. According to Jewish law, like you've broken the fast and like you haven't, you, I don't know... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but but being conscious and going back into it and thinking about it and and being aware that's 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 a merit for you that isn't like forget about the rule whether you win, yeah. won or you lost that's not what it's about it's, it's it's only a win if you're going back to like in your mind going back to the um going back to your nation maybe why not maybe what are you thinking what am i thinking Thinking, I wish I had another cracker with some of that fish. <laughs> <laughs> you want some of that white fish? I want some of the white fish. Um, it's funny, you have to have the cracker to eat it. Like, I wouldn't just like spoon this and eat it. No, it's, it's too. It's an imperfect. Right, you, th- I have this. Um, textural contrast. Textural contrast. And I have this with, with, with uh, my wife and with other people all the time. Um, I can't eat creamy food by itself. I have, to have, I have to have textural contrast. And I see people who eat like an entire tub of cottage cheese That's or, like, or like yogurt. I told you over, I can't do it. I can't eat like a thing of yogurt by itself. I got some granola in there. Granola, fruit, something. It's like, I just can't do it. I don't know. Am I weird? What are you, a baby? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I guess, well, I talk with food in my mouth. Yeah, as you've got a bunch of white, not white <laughs> fish, really. white fish in who, your mouth. Who mutes your mic? 
Benny. <laughs> Always my way. The whole time while we're like, I go for a cracker and Benny like <laughs> quietly so reaches over. While, and while Benny chew, <laughs> while Benny chews, let me ask you. No, no, wait, I'm done. done, done you, you done chewing? Right. What, what I'm really thinking about between Stealth bites of the whitefish is that for me, for me, I'm going to say this in the most non-judgy way as I possibly can because it's not judgy. I feel bad and sad sometimes during these conversations because the religious Jewish world sees itself as the authentic Jewish world. Where, where, and you're shaking your finger at it's me. Not, so I'm happy that you're shaking your finger at me. it's not. It's not. They're the torchbearers. It's different. And I've never, and, I'm, and I, I, I eat whatever I feel like eating. And I don't, I don't fast on fast days. Uh, I, I do call it Shabbat. I don't say Sofash Naim because my, the Shabbat is just as much as, as it is mine as it is yours. So I would never take that terminology away from myself. I don't feel any less Jewish than anybody else. I feel extraordinarily Jewish. And I also made a decision conscientiously to live in the Jewish state. By the way, that's, a new, that's a new paradigm that never existed until 70-something years ago. And I, and, I've, and I feel extraordinarily Jewish. And when I'm abroad, and forgive me people that are listening from abroad, and I see diaspora Jews, I feel, I feel in a way more Jewish by virtue of the fact of the fact that I'm living in, in, in the land of Israel. Even if I'm not fasting and not keeping Shabbat and not eating this and I love a good ham sandwich and a, way, and a Rev, delicious Rev baguette with, with butter. Yeah. That's like, you're not alone in that. And, and, like, and, there are Haredim that say that too. And I, and I find like none of this really matters. Like I don't feel any less Jewish than, than, than Dr. Guy Matalon on the podcast yesterday. In fact, I would say in many ways more people out there in the world come in contact with Jews like me than they do with Jews like Dr. Guy Matalon. And, and here I am, and you're having this conversation, and, and the other day when you said to me what you said about feeling sad that I'm eating this, I'm like, all right, that's your problem. Yeah, I don't know problem. what to tell you. Like, I don't feel sad that I'm eating this. I feel sad that you're even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. And again, I'll go back to my point. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's totally okay. Um, and I find that what we're doing here on this, on this show, and I think that in so many other ways, people that are able to sit down and have these conversations when they mature in adult fashion without, without making complete and total judgment calls that the other person is, is you know, worth less than, than the other, sure. uh, are what are going to keep our world together. And they're ultimately what's going to keep the Jewish people from you know, going to some sort of an awful tailspin. Unfortunately, as we've had conversations with other people, we do seem to be going to a schismatic type, you know, type of a place, but it's definitely, I, I feel, not around these values. It's around other values. Um, and unfortunately, it, it doesn't feel like people are able to circle the square on that conversation so easily than this one. Because after all, this is just a conversation about food. And food, at the end of the day, is tasty and it's good. Um, whereas Especially this food. <laughs> are, are a little bit different. What, what, what are you thinking right now? I think it's special that this conversation can actually only happen over here. In Israel. In Israel. Yeah. This, this conversation can actually only happen over here. So uh, I think that's special. Welcome, uh, welcome to uh, the in-gathering, my friends, <laughs> where uh, people from all walks of life can actually get together, sit down, and have kiddish together at 11 o'clock at night. What time is it? Yep, 11 o'clock at night. Well, it is, it is getting late. Um, I think before we wrap up, are you having fun? 
I'm so happy you guys came down here and party with us. We're happy we finally made this happen. This is so cool. And that we can sit in a physical shop. I remember the this whole... This is so much for, more the fun build than up running a business. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to like hang out with my friends at night and like drink whiskey and eat herring. Isn't that what we all want to do? That's, what we, that's why everybody goes into business. Like They're going to have their own little club, but they yeah. realize that... Um, that they have to work uh, 20 hours a day. They're a harder boss than their boss was. Oh. Yeah. That's how it usually is. Are you having fun doing this? Not this tonight, but like, are you having fun? Is this what you wanted? This is uh, the most amazing thing that I've ever done in my entire life. This is amazing. This is really, really incredible. I feel really blessed that um, I, was, uh, I was given the courage to take that initiative. I think a lot of people just wait. Yeah. Uh, they curse out their bosses. They complain about not having missed opportunity and not having Kaleem and, and you know, coming from nowhere and they're nobody. And they, there's this downward spiral of nothing. Um, I, uh, I made a decision one day to, uh, to make a better life for my family and um, to, uh, that I'm unemployable and I must employ. You know, uh, we created a fantastic culture here. We have a great little company. It's a, it's a tiny little place. I mean, you guys are here right now. You have, you're seeing it after hours. We, um, we, have, we have seven people on our payroll uh, and a bunch of other freelancers. We opened this thing up in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we're making smiles. Um, we have the old and the young coming together, and we're the center of everybody's Shabbat table. And uh, every single Shabbat, uh, Yom Shabbat, somewhere around 11, 12 o'clock after Tefillah, everybody gets together, and they're eating kugel and having herring, and they're drinking whiskey, and there's little pocket kiddishes happening all over the country. And every single one of them has uh, a package of pickles and some herring, and it's a fun conversation. And yeah. I get to be part of that. And it's really, That's really awesome. special. It's very cool. It's very cool. And I'm happy that you're having a really good time with it. It's, it's you know, you're, you're, so many of us had like, I know this isn't the way that you thought about it, but so many of us had like these little like COVID projects that we started so that we didn't go out of our minds. And you were going to do this before COVID, it seemed. And, and it's like, you, despite COVID and maybe to the merit of the times that we were going through, you were able to succeed anyways. Do you ever feel what it would have been like if there wasn't COVID? Would you have done this? The same way? Would it be what it is? Or, or, or are we a byproduct of, of these times? Well, the brand is totally reactionary. You know? the, the original concept was called the Stiebel Market. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, James, um, the, the other partner, uh, Todd in uh, Bodega in Tel Aviv, he, he was like, you know, you got to call it Stiebel. Why? Because that's where the best kugel and herring is. It's in the Stiebel. It's in the back of the shul in this no, tiny little room. This name's much better. It, yeah, it's, it's fitting, but because it, it's also reactionary, and it's, 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 it's a byproduct of the times, and, um, and uh, it's a cool story. It's a cool story, and, uh, and we're, it's not like a story that was told. It's a story that I'm living in right now, and, and you guys are part of that story, too. Well, we're trying to, we're trying to help spread that story, and uh, it's really cool that you're uh, single-handedly changing food culture uh, in Israel. I wouldn't go that far. Come on. I would. And um, you're certainly a part of uh, an avant-garde of people who are trying to change the craft food culture, who are trying to spread um, carefully made, handmade, old-fashioned way foods. And it's cool. It's really cool. And thankfully, um, our country's in a place where we can appreciate it also. Financially, culturally, socially, that we could appreciate such things. Um, and, and more power to you. I just want to say for the Yishakor. record... I don't know if the health department will appreciate me saying this or if the bureaucracy will allow you to do this, but Chaim's got, and we'll, we'll put pictures of, this on the, uh, p- pictures of this on the show notes, but you've got like a kick-ass balcony outside with a massively amazing view. 
Oh, wow. I just want to put this out. Thank you for, for that plug. We have a huge space overlooking Emek Bracha. It's on a tzuk. It's on like a peak. And it's, it's uh, re- really easily uh, accessible. Plenty of parking, elevator. Uh, you don't even have to walk through the mall. You can do events there. You can do events. So, though, I'm offering my, my space for events. Uh, I'm not even looking for lots of money. I just really want people, that, like while we were filming before, I don't know if they made it onto the live feed. It there was did, a young it couple did, it came did. in. Yep. I told them to come have their wedding on the balcony. Really, like this space, it's all about the generosity. That's awesome. Uh, I, I want to buy diapers for my kids, but I really want everybody, I want the whole, the, the whole nation to come celebrate over here with us. That's are you, awesome. Are you allowed to have an event out there? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like the, like the corned beef that definitely doesn't come from here, totally. Or <laughs> it may or may come not. have your event at at, uh, at Prohibition Pickle with Chaim Davis. <laughs> you we can do whatever we want. We're big kids right now. With uh, you know. yeah, we're we're in the Wild West uh, Bank here. <laughs> Everything goes awesome. So uh, well, we thank you for hosting us here in your shop, in your restaurant, in your deli. Where can, people, where can people find you? How can they order Prohibition Pickle? So, so for, first and foremost, Prohibition Pickle is very low-tech. We do things the old-fashioned way. I actually rather you just call in. Let's talk. We don't have any, like, you know, click-to-basket, paywall. We use Google Forms for our orders. Dude, we you have a, literally, when I order, it's like a bot that tells me to do things. You're kind of high-tech. Oh, no, we dropped the bot already. Yeah, you dropped the bot? We're Google Forms right now. Okay. <laughs> if, if you're in the Goosh area, uh, to Goosh. Just come by. Come by, call, order. We deliver to different places, different days of the week um, with different minimums. Yep. Just if you want it, call. We'll figure out how to get it to you. It's, it's a fantastic product. Um, Facebook, we, Instagram. Facebook, at Prohibition Pickle. Yeah. Um, and, we, you know, we wouldn't be here doing the show if this wasn't an amazing product and, and if Chaim wasn't such a generous, uh, uh, well-meaning guy. And uh, we wish you tons of success. Amen. And uh, honestly, to, to all the, the, the chefs and entrepreneurs who are really trying to put out fantastic products with good service. So good luck to you. Good luck to all of your, your colleagues in, in this kind of world. And uh, thanks so much for hosting us. Thanks so much for coming out, guys. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, pleasure. See, we'll see you next time on Juanced. Juanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Pfefferman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at juanced.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.